Hello there, and welcome to The Last Edit, a weekly film podcast with my good friend... Silver Hawkins. ...and myself, Citizen Sleeve. Each week we choose a different film, and then we discuss it. Uh, one little caveat or change before we carry on and mention the film. We've changed the date of the podcast to make it come out every week on the same day, hopefully at the same time. So we record on Monday or Sunday... We found sometimes we can't do it properly or we haven't got the time to edit it and get it out. So from now on, Tuesdays, 6.30 GMT and 10.30 PST in America. I think that's a nice sweet spot. We'll always get it out on Tuesday, bar, I don't know, some form of horrific accident. Hopefully that won't befall us, though. Yeah. Um, so let's get on with it then for this week. But remember, every Tuesday from now on. Right, so this one is a cult classic to me and I've seen it so many times. It's bled into my aura at this point, I think. Um, it's by Walter Hill. It's 1979's The Warriors. And it was the 40th anniversary of the film last week or the week before, I think. So a uh, short while ago, but pretty close. And I just thought it'd be a really interesting one to talk about. So we'll go through the, uh, the plot really quickly. So, 1979, New York is a mass awash with gangs. Gangs of all types, all shapes, all sizes, and wonderfully aesthetically different, which we'll talk about a bit later. So, the biggest gang in the city, the Riffs, led by Cyrus, have summoned all the gangs to come to Pelham Park to talk to him about something to and to have a truce between them. And the warriors make their way there. There are only nine in every gang, and each gang has a war chief, and the war chief of the warriors is called Cleon. And he amasses the troops, gathers them, and off they go on this long train journey, headed to Pelham to see what Cyrus has to say to them. We get a little introduction of each of the characters and who they are. Um, the, 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 most, uh, the most annoying and the most uh, in-your-face is um, Ajax, played by James Remar. Then you've got uh, the, the Underchief, played by Michael Beck, and that's Swan. And various other cool and interesting characters within the Nine. So off they go, they arrive at this massive Pelham Park with these just thousands of gang members, delegates from all these different gangs across New York. I and mean, they've come all the way from Coney Island to find out what Cyrus has to say. Cyrus basically wants to unite the gangs. He sees that with the numbers that they have and the boroughs they control, they have more power than the police. So he stands on stage in front of them all. He riles them up. He points out like the Von Aldholt Rangers standing against some other gang they hate, and yet they're not wasting each other, as he calls it. And then we have one of the infamous lines where he rallies everybody together and shouts, Can you dig it? And just after that moment, uh, Luther of the Rogues, a despicable human being, ends up sniping or executing Cyrus as he's just got everybody together in this truce to enact his plan of one big gang city. And then it all kicks off. The police silently encroach upon the, the gathering, unbeknownst to anybody, apparently. Um, everyone's freaking out, and in the midst of it, Luther, who's just killed Cyrus, screams, It was the Warriors! And then the truce is broken, the rifts and all the other gangs are put on high alert, and everybody is after the Warriors. And they've got to make it back to Coney Island. And that's the setup. And we'll talk about the characters, the intricacies, the, the different plot um, elements very shortly. So, 
I imagine you've seen this at least once or twice before. I haven't actually. Uh, oh, really? The first time I, I mean, I've been familiar with it, but it mm. hasn't really been a film that's taken up my interest uh, for a number of reasons. Um, like I had friends that tell me it was pretty shallow. They fought it as such. Um, it begins so, but by the end, there are elements which are definitely not shallow. But again, we'll, we'll come to that. Um, but yeah, no, I've it's I I haven't really gravitated towards it or felt an inclination towards watching it. So uh, watching it now was the first time I've ever seen it. Very. That's that's actually really interesting. You're one of the few people I've come across in like film circles who hasn't seen it, and to see it in 2019. Okay, so what are your initial thoughts then? You know, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I can't say I enjoyed watching it. Um, okay. Or I enjoyed the film. I appreciate it. I I admire aspects of it. Uh, but I did not find it to be an enjoyable watch. Um, I guess it's impossible to sort of divorce the film from politics, I find. Um, like uh, when Cyrus is shot initially for while he basically tries to unify people that can't help but conjure up images of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and, and Robert yeah. Kennedy in the context of American history. And, you know, New York City back in 79 when this film was made was a very different city from New York City today. Uh, New York City, as I recall, practically went bankrupt in 75. Yeah. Um and President Ford refused to bail it out, even went so far as to say he would veto any attempt to bail the city out. Mm. Uh, and they had to save the city by basically cutting into people's pension funds. Um, and there was a, like, 24... In 77, there was, like, a 24-hour power outage that yeah. um, that led to citywide riots, looting, like, general lawlessness... Probably not too, probably not not too um, far away from what is depicted in the film, to some extent. Um, but yeah, I I was uncomfortable. I mean, I went in not really knowing entirely what to expect. Um, I think my biggest problem with the film is probably that I haven't read the book either. But from what I gather, the book is. Um, fairly critical of the whole gang environment thing. Uh, and it's yeah, not, yeah. It doesn't really uh, pull any punches in that regard. And this film, to a very large extent, feels like it mythologizes its characters and romanticizes the whole gang aspect, uh, which I find troubling and a little disturbing. Um, like, it, it even goes... I mean, it goes from from the very beginning with, with the names of the characters who are not... <laughs> really named like people in these environments would usually name they're named after mythological characters like many of them like Ajax um, so yeah there there seems to be this mythological romantic component to it where you're sort of supposed to admire and root for these people um, even I mean there's the scene with Mercy where she she appears in the book I think she's she's raped um Whereas that's that doesn't come to pass in in the film, and it I don't know it just feels a little disingenuous the way they sort of pull back um, to not make the characters too dislikable. Um, 
and yeah, it just that's that's an aspect of the film I find fairly troubling. Also, I didn't find that the fight sequences held up very well today. Uh, not hugely, no. <laughs> and they look way too like stunt coordinated. Like there's this the fight scene in, in the bathroom, which is one of the uh, most oh, famous the scenes punks. from the film. Yeah. Yeah, is there's a scene where I, I think it's I don't remember if it's Swan or one of the other warriors uh, who goes to headbutt someone and they never connect and then they. It, yeah, it's that scene. It's the it's, they're called the punks. It's the roller skating yeah. gang. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes yes. to headbutt someone and they never connect and they still like fall apart like they do and so forth. And still shot in slow mo now and again, which emphasizes yeah. the fact they don't connect. <laughs> yeah. So I've got history with this film simply because I studied it back in the day. Because it was prominent. And it's based on Sol Yannick's book, uh, 1965, as you mentioned. And he was more critical. And Walter Hill did make quite a few changes. And almost took away some of the greater perspectives that the book was trying to talk about at the time. And stripped it back. And as you said, it does become this, this mythological notion of what gangs are. Because he even said in interviews afterwards that one of the things he wanted to change was the more gritty attitude of the novel and make it more fantastical. Which is why we have these ridiculous gangs dressed in all kinds of yeah. ridiculous costumes, the, the fairies later on with the baseball bats, you know, in the woods a little bit prior to that fight. Uh, and even the memes, oh, sorry, the mimes. How, how, how effective can a gang of mimes actually be? I'm not so sure. Um, it's got iconic moments. I mean, even the opening with the Wonder Wheel, that's, that's a real um, foreground wheel. And the music... Yeah, It's only got one track, but that one track is so long, it sections elements to apply to different scenes when they're relevant. Yeah, the soundtrack is by far the film's greatest asset, I felt. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, the music works wonderfully well. It's got the somber moments, so at the start, down, down, down. and then when it actually kicks into the, the, the more heightened elements during the fights, it works really, really well. There are some troubling elements with this film because it does grandiose gang culture. Now, as you mentioned, in New York at the time, uh, well, it was a destroyed society. I mean, utterly ravaged by a lack of money. Poverty was everywhere. Gangs were rife. Not to the heightened extent that we see in the film, but certainly a lot of gangs existed um, across the, the breadth of New York. And you're right, that gang culture... What, what, what I find with this film in particular is... If you look at something like Kubrick's Clockwork Orange, we have that at the beginning. The opening 20 minutes of that film is an in-your-face, visceral slam of what horrifying gang culture can be. But then the film changes, completely changes. We see the effects that it has on the wider society, on, on the family, on people that exist within this world that we don't see in the Warriors. The only really, the only person we see change for a number of reasons, ever so slightly, and a few counterpoint scenes work well, is Mercy and her relationship with Swan. But even that, apart from one or two particular moments, is really quite shallow. Now, all the characters are very distinct. Some of them are really quite despicable. Yeah, um, there isn't really a likable character in the film. Well, I even found. Swan, for you know, now and again, it seems like he is kind of trying to be a, a, a bit better, but it doesn't work out that way because he always ends up saying something to Mercy or to someone else, which is completely in conflict with with that notion of his character growing. Now, so so we should get back to the narrative quickly. So this fight happens, 
Uh, sorry, the, the, um, the shooting of Osiris happens, and then fights kick off everywhere, everyone's fleeing, and then the Cleon, the leader of the warriors, is killed. So Swan kind of takes over with a bit of a fight with Ajax, because Ajax is full of himself and thinks he's the man and will fight with anybody and gets himself in all kinds of trouble. And off they go. And they come across all kinds of different gangs throughout the narrative. They... They get on trains to try and escape to get back to Coney. On the way, they meet gangs like the Orphans, who are this kind of um, lower-rung gang that aren't seen as very popular. And they show newspaper clippings to show they've been in the news and, you know, they're a real gang. And that's where they meet Mercy. And Mercy joins them, kind of, and follows them a bit. And she's an odd character because, superficially, she seems like... A typical Bronx girl who's strong, who's been through it all, who who can stand up to these guys. But all you have to do is scratch the surface through later scenes in the dialogue to realise she's actually broken. She's lost her ambition. She uses sex to survive, to deal with life. And she kind of starts latching onto Swan. And that kind of develops as the narrative goes on. Now, at some point, the gang gets split up. And we end up with one gang... Uh, going off and meeting the orphans and then we have one gang who meets the lizzies um which again is a very odd scene so you've got half um half this gang the the warriors who've met this all-female gang called the lizzies and everything seems to be fine and that some of them are kind of getting on with each other and then one of the lizzies pulls a gun shots are fired and all hell breaks loose and so they get out of there and it, it all ends up shifting and culminating to a point where they end up trying to get a train together to get to the uh, um, to Coney Island, but they have to cross a road which is being guarded by I can't remember what the gang's called now by this huge massive kind of bus they've created with a load of gang members on them and loads of things they can throw and hurt. Uh, well, that, the warriors that happened with. earlier, even. Yeah, prior to the fairies and the um, yeah. punk. That's fights. basically the first gang they run into, I think. Yeah, and they have to try and circumvent them. Yeah. And that's where they come across uh, the orphans, half of them, because they get separated, and then the other half of the Lissies. So, it's it's a really simple narrative. Well, I mean, it's, said, narratively, it's, it and the book is basically uh, the story of Xenophon's journey. Um, yeah. From ancient Greece, where, yeah. you know, the army of 10,000 who have to make it back to Greece across hostile territory. Um that's basically sort of the, the framing of the narrative. And that's another further way that that Walter Hill uses to sort of mythologize the whole thing, along, yeah, well, with, along with the names of the characters and such. It's, it's major flaw. Well, it's got, it's got a few major flaws, but one of the major flaws is it lacks social commentary to some extent. It, it, he moves away from what could have made good social commentary with this film. And we, we don't... To, I mean, we see to, it on to, occasion. To, yeah, yes, yes and no, because I, think, I mean, there is... There is social commentary in the film. I mean, I think, I mean, unde- undeniably, I think the way Cyrus is shot and the way Cyrus is framed, and Cyrus's whole speech, and Cyrus, of course, uh, is also appropriately named Cyrus for the the general who led, or the um, the Persian heir to the throne who led the um, hmm. the Greeks uh, to, against. Uh, Artaxerxes to regain his throne. Um, yeah, I mean the way the way his speech is framed and the way his assassination is framed and shot 
can't help but conjure up images, like I said, of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. in the context of American history. And the problem think, is, it, it never takes it further. It always bookends no, that, it. I mean, that's that's true, but I... Yeah, I don't... I mean, I don't know how they could necessarily have taken it much further. Um, well, just in terms of trying to be a, a bit more clever with the use of the characters and the narrative, you know, this doesn't become a redemption, a redemption arc. We we don't no. see, we don't apart from okay, Luther dies in the end, but I mean that that's really it. No one goes through some massive holistic change. Um, no, there are basically no arcs in the film. Yeah, we, we don't see any news footage or anything that maybe reflects elements that are happening in, in real New York, or, or apart from those few elements. We have, the, there's the one um, bit near the end when the uh, warriors are basically done and they're finally on the, the home stretch to Coney and they're on the train. And the two couples, who I assume have just come back from the prom, yeah. sit opposite Mercy and Swan. Yeah. And this is where we do get some elements of social commentary. Yeah, and where whereas Mercy sort of tries to maybe adjust her hair and then Swan stops yeah. her. To sort of yeah, make it, herself look more presentable. And he stops Exactly. Her. You know, they're, they're sat there covered in dirt, um, clearly with nothing. They've just been through fight after fight, place after place, struggling to get by, struggling to survive. And these four um, middle class, um, uh, well-to-do young folks back from the prom have everything that Mercy kind of wanted for herself. And that, that her flick when Swamp stops her is almost saying, no, don't do it for them. Don't, you don't need to do anything for them. And then we get that reverse shot when we see the four um, prom um, returners look at each other. Don't, they don't speak at all. Look at each other, kind of nod get off the train and we just have that one still final shot of that sequence where the seats are empty and Mercy is still looking at them as if that's now gone and I think that those moments are really quite poignant I think yeah. Mercy's the most interesting character but again her arc is I guess it could yeah it reflects real life but the rest of the film doesn't the rest of the film is so I, I, high I, fantastical no, I, I mean I even agree with I, I thought I thought Mercy's arc uh, to the extent you can call it an arc was terrible I didn't buy into it at all like the whole relationship mm. with Swan yeah um, he's constantly lambasting her of all kinds of stuff yeah and the relationship is just I mean if, if he's trying to show how broken everything is then he succeeds because everything is literally broken in this yeah thing. and he still take, brings her along anyway um, yeah yeah there was also <laughs> with Mercy I mean this this is just sort of how um, sort of anal I am about these things but it, the scene where um, she's with Fox and they they get um, stopped by the police and the police grab onto Fox and Fox tells her to run and then Fox struggles with a police officer who then pushes uh, Fox down onto the train and Fox gets run over by the train then in the next scene they return to the same station and there's there's no consequence to the fact that someone was just run over by the train. Yeah. There's no cleanup. Trains are still moving through. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing would, happened, nothing to see yeah. here, people. <laughs> I mean, which was really sort of and there and there's not even like there's and even though there hasn't been cleanup, there's no trace of like blood or anything. Which is another thing. I mean, the film for for its violence, the film is really, really tame. There's oh, yeah. barely any blood. Um, which is another sort of 
choice that seems really bizarre to me, given its subject matter and its apparent intention in depicting this material, uh, that they would pull their punches in that regard. Uh, that means well, that, to the, that might well to, have been in the context of the time it was made. Um, well, to add to that, I found it quite interesting that they actually said the, the fairies fight, the baseball bat guys in the forest, um, they thought they were too intimidating without music or something to soften the way they looked. They didn't look intimidating, really. I mean, I, I thought, can't... I thought, I mean, I thought they did. I mean, that, I, I thought actually um, the fairies were an excellent example of, you know, these were people who in daylight, they would look absolutely ridiculous. And they, I mean, they do to an extent, but at nighttime, if you meet one of these guys by himself in, in an alley, he's freaking intimidating. I'll tell you what, I'd be more intimidated by seeing a, a mime down an alley than I would a guy with a baseball bat, to be honest. I would freak right out there. What are you miming for? It's five in the morning. I'm back away. Uh, we should also talk about Ajax, who is played by James Remar, and he's a bit of a dick. He's constantly throwing out homophobic slurs. Now, whether that dialogue reflects what gangs would use... You know, the lexicon of language to each other. It's probably quite true. No, I, but, think, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that this that was the culture at the time, not gang but he cult, is culture, just a, but, but societal He's just culture. a nasty character, isn't he? He really is. Um, I mean, that that was even societal culture up until the 90s. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one bit in the film which is just... So Ajax has been challenging everyone in his own gang and everybody else he can find and wants to fight with. God knows everybody. He's the one who ends up um, taking on the fairies and he has loads of iconic lines that people tend to uh, tend to latch onto. But his weakest moment in the film, or the weakest scene, one of, is when they're about they're all heading off that half gang. They've they've had the fight and they walk past a woman on a bench. And he says, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to go and hit that or something. Probably worse. And off they go. And he goes and sits down, starts talking to her. And then decides he's going to sexually harass her. And then she turns out to be a cop. She handcuffs him. Cops appear. He gets all hell beaten out of him. And that's, that's Ajax done. And yeah, it's about as short and unrepentant an arc as you can get. This has been a bad guy. He's been bad a lot. He's still being bad. Beat him up. Done. Gone. Narrative end. Concluded. Just didn't like his character a lot at all. A lot of people like his his one-liners and his quips. And occasionally they're funny. I think he tells one of the Furies to take his to take their baseball bat and shove it up their arse. So he can... T- I can't remember now. Something like that. Yeah. But much of it is redundant. Much of what he is as a character is redundant. He doesn't... He doesn't push the narrative forward in any way. He doesn't assist any characters. He's not an antagonist, but he's not really the best protagonist either. I I agree that he's like narratively redundant, but I don't think he's redundant in terms of the themes of the film because he's basically the one character who sort of epitomizes the negative aspects of of the gang culture that. Mm that are apparently portrayed in the book, but aren't really portrayed all that prominently in the film. So I, cer- I certainly think that he, he fits, and he's an important piece in that in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I've, I mean, I think, I think a lot of people gravitate towards Ajax because he's outwardly, I mean, he doesn't back down. 
Yeah. Which is something and he says that, what he thinks. There's there's no there's no filter. Yeah, which is something that a lot of people find enormously appealing uh, and admirable, especially in the modern uh, internet age. <laughs> yeah, true. So so I think I mean that I think that's a large part of it. Uh, I think uh, like acting wise, I think Ringmar's performance is arguably the strongest in the film for me. Oh, it is definitely. Though I mean that might also be because I just years of seeing Remar in <laughs> in small yeah. roles as a char- as a character actor. So I might be sort of predisposed to favor him in that regard. Life audio yeah, is really absolutely. really good. Um and and yeah, I mean <laughs> here's another like this is now what the third or fourth film we've seen with an uncomfortable uh, like rape like scene. Um mm. <laughs> Um. Yeah, it's. Uh, but I, but I didn't really object to it all that much in in the, in that regard because I felt it did sort of fit in with the theme. Well, I it's mean, not it, very it, it, explicit, it was, and it fits his character, the kind of things he would do. Yeah, and I mean, if if Ajax hadn't been there and that arc hadn't been there, I probably would have liked the film even less, mm. uh, to an extent. Because again, I mean, I think it does sort of. It's the one aspect that portrays the whole culture thing a bit more reality. Yeah, yeah. So the ending then. So the warriors are on the train back to Coney. We just talked about that. That scene with the the guys from the prom, and they arrive back at Coney, and waiting for them is none other than the despicable Luther and his gang of miscreants, the Rogues, and he taunts them. And apparently that scene was was improvised. Uh, Warriors, come out and play! Um, again, and this is why I think it resonated with a lot of people, despite its serious issues as, as a film. It's because of a lot of those iconic lines. Um, but apparently that's just something they tried on the day. That was just improvisation. Which, with the bottles and everything, which I thought was right. pretty cool. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, so they, that, they, that, that, that scene where there's just the, that sound effect is, mm. is really well executed. Um there's another scene that's really sort of well executed for tension that just popped up in my memory when um just immediately before when they've pulled up to the station in the trains the warriors yeah. and everything is quiet and you just hear footsteps and that's the only sound and you're sort of left wondering well who is it um because i mean proper folk aren't out and about <laughs> at this time of clipping uh, and clopping at that time in the morning yeah at this time of the night um and it turns out eventually to be a police officer which is what sort of splits the gang and sets up that chase sequence but yeah the there are sequence some nice leading moments up to that between is, sound is really and silence, well well executed in terms of tension yeah and uh, just sound and silence um yeah a few, there's a few moments when it's used really well or just set you know diegetic sound effects um, related to, to non-diegetic music and how that balances, which is quite nice. I, oh, before we talk about the end as well, I suppose we should mention the radio DJ, where we never see... So so after um, the death of Cyrus and all the gangs are on alert, this radio DJ starts um, kind of informing the gangs where the warriors might be and what's happening and kind of where to find them if they can. Um and it's only ever shot kind of um, yeah, and she plays uh, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Yeah, it's just I quite liked it. I, that's one part of the film I did like. I um, yeah, I quite dug dug her voice, dug dug the theme, dug the way she was trying to to get all the gangs to follow warriors. That was cool. So the end then. Um, it's pretty unremarkable to be fair. <laughs> they all meet on the beach. They agree to to meet and have it out, and then um, Swan and Luther 
have one-on-one uh, fights, just just mano a mano. Um, Luther brings a gun. Swan brings a knife. Yeah, that scene was Luther so terrible, loses. Man. That's kind of it, really. I mean, and then that, they that, that scene between Swan and and Luther when Swan throws the switchblade. Yeah, it's shot so poorly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then they walk off into the sunset as if Irving is dandy again. So yeah, it's a difficult film. I think a lot of people hold on to it as being a cult classic because of its aesthetic, its music. Yeah, and, and I mean, I can see ve- why it's a cult classic. Yeah, and, and it's very quotable dialogue. Yeah. I think, you know, those are the elements that that really get people to, to watch it again. But it's got it's got a lot of issues. It, it's social commentary needs to be stronger and could be stronger. It's representation of stereotypes is a pretty overt one at times, yeah, especially when you see the gangs. I don't know that the social commentary necessarily needs to be stronger. There just needs to be some kind of point, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah. So, something which comes after making some of these um, kind of observations. Yeah, because, I mean, the film does seem to try and address a couple of things, but where it goes with them and what it wants to do with it is is sort of unclear to me. Because it's inconsistent. Yeah, and you can see that with the end. You know, you have this poignant, you have these moments of poignancy. Um, few and far between, but you have them. And then we get such a terrible ending. It, the pre-bit to the ending, you know, where, where he's, they're driving around, that, that tension is far, far more um, interesting to me than then the fight that develops later, which is incredibly... I, when you first watch it, and I'm sure you must have thought the same, this is going to be a big gang fight. All, all the remaining warriors and rogues are going to kick off. We're going to get interesting cutaways and shots and close-ups and all these things. And in the end, it's just... Da, 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 da. Yeah. Oh, man. And then everyone just so stands around like... <laughs> yeah. What did he just do? Yeah. Well, the other guy had a gun. What did you expect? It could have been on a bit of string and thrown down. It was that bad. But, yeah, I, there are moments that I will always like in this film. That Even the opening. I love the Wonder Wheel. I love the the way that the music works. I mean, Cyrus's speech is really well shot as well. It, I th- um, think the opening of the film is probably the best part of it. Yeah. Because it, it's, it is quite interesting to see these different gangs, this different environment, the, yeah. you know, the fall of society and the, the rise of these colourful characters who've all got their own, these rules of having nine members and a war chief. and it's quite, It is really interesting. It's just where they go from there that I think doesn't meet the intention that perhaps it could have had, and the book certainly did. Yeah. I mean, to me, it seems like the the film really purposefully sort of frames Cyrus as as the change in act an actor, the the revolutionary, you know, um, like like Martin Luther King or or Lenin or um, or Robert Kennedy or John Kennedy, um, like reformer that wants to unite people, and then Malcolm X, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean. It's a shame it didn't take it in maybe. No, a I don't, know. I don't know that Malcolm X really wanted to unite people, but well, but yeah, I, I don't know. And that's it's... not meant particularly negatively towards Malcolm X, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's a. It was an interesting we watch because I haven't watched this film for I don't know ten years maybe now, and even back then it was a difficult one because it's 
it's so pleasing viscerally to, to a lot of people. It's so dynamic to a lot of people. It is a very iconic to a lot of people. But it's not a film that holds up particularly well now, I don't think. Especially given a lot of the films that have come um, since and done better. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I I don't I didn't enjoy it. Um, like in that regard, it's not really a film to my taste. Um, but I did admire a lot of aspects about it, and I can understand why it has the cult status that it has to a large extent. Um, especially also like in the context of when it was made and the environment it was made in. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, I'm. It's it's a really interesting film, and I think it does bring up a number of topics for for discussion. Hmm. Um, but but it certainly does have its flaws. I would say for film students out there, it's definitely worth a watch. It's also um, I think I mean I'm not. <laughs> it has to be said I'm not a particularly particularly big fan of Walter Hill. I think this might actually be have been the best film of his that i've seen um yeah yeah it probably is he's had um not not the most wonderful filmography and he's much more successful as a producer than he is as a director oh absolutely all kinds of stuff and it's odd because when this came out and some of his earlier films he was often likened to sam peckinpah and no sorry sam peckinpah is a magnificent director who we'll get to at some point i'm sure with one of his wonderful films Okay. Watch it. If you haven't seen it, watch it once. It's a film that I think is worth watching. I mean, I, I don't think I find it as uncomfortable as maybe Silver does because I've simply watched it so many times. You know, I've watched it that many times since since probably I was in my mid-teens. But a lot of... I mean, even the violence isn't wonderfully visceral anyway. It's not particularly impactful. But no. I've just seen these sequences, these... These these um, scenes so many times now that I just kind of that I let it wash over me. Enjoy the music. I mean that is that I mean that bears mentioning again because that is one of the the problems I had with the way it mythologizes this whole thing is it doesn't really show you the impact of the violence. Yeah, yeah. You, you because don't see of the, the way it sort of it neuters it. It neuters it. Yeah. It's basically yeah. just um, actors standing there stunt fighting each other, which. And it's pretty obvious that they're just stunt fighting each other. And there's, there's no scene afterwards with people lying with broken teeth and, and caved in skulls or broken ribs or whatever. Um, it just sort of moves on. They're just they just lie there basically unconscious or whatever, and then we just mm. move on. There's no blood or very little. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, we only ever, ever see the warriors also encounter essentially the police. You know, it's not they—they they don't meet innocent bystanders particularly. They, they no. obviously have the—you the, know—we have the prom kids who come onto the train later on, but that's for a a, a meaning-based thematic purpose. Yeah. We don't see any any uh, ramifications of of maybe death of death or violence towards innocents or towards families or to members of society. It's always gang, gang members, on gang, yeah, which is non-consequential because there's no gravitas there. But then also the police, or, yeah, which yes, are really right. this faceless. You know, faceless entity who sneak up on the gangs and try and try and stop them. Uh, the, well, they're the really... establishment or the state. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then the nameless faceless who will try and control, and that's what they're fighting against, or at least yeah. were until yeah. Cyrus was killed. So yeah, I don't even think the game's that good. 
that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> it's an okay beat em up that a lot of people latched on for a long time, I think. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay, The Warriors. Watch it if you'd like to. It's worth one watch, I think. Yeah, I think I think it's worth a watch. Um, I think there are definitely aspects of it that that are worth bearing in mind and are worth seeing. Um, and again, the soundtrack is really, really good. Yeah, it really, really is. That the soundtrack's quite exceptional. And I don't know. I I've got a soft spot for sort of somewhere, but not very much of one anymore. I don't think. I studied it way too early when it was. Um, oh man, look at that! Oh wow, look at that! And then. I mean, it's very unlike any other film at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is certainly in the film's favor. Yeah. It didn't do that well at the box office. It has its very own unique identity. Well, when it It, first came out... It didn't do well uh, critically either, so... No, no. No. I mean, it came out, it did okay at theaters. Then there was um, a slew of violent acts. Um, um, Three people died, I think. Different different teens, different, different young men in gang-related um, assaults and there was graf- graffiti everywhere and the, the city was getting semi-destroyed and so Paramount pulled all of the advertising so that hurt it as well um, but just over the years it's, it's developed this this cult following I think because of those elements um, on top of the music, the aesthetic and I mean it is, said, this... it is sort of one of the ultimate punk films I think yeah to an extent well it's quite otherworldly and that's what makes it so different yeah you know this completely different Take on a, on a on a New York that was, I mean, okay, yes, you had the riffs that which are kind of like the Black Panthers. And I think the similarities there. I think as a sort of double feature, it would go really well with the Escape from New York, John Carpenter's. Ah, interesting. I would play um, Escape from New York second. Yeah, I think that'd be more of the palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, that's something we will have to watch at some point. That's a film I adore. Carpenter is. Oh. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> okay, so the Warriors. That's that done. What, sir, have we got next Tuesday? Uh, well, it's time for something completely different, uh, to quote Monty Python. Um, <laughs> it's a, a film that's very near and dear to my heart. I I think it may have been my favorite film as a, as a kid. God, I was so jealous of every single actor in it, um, which is uh, Walt, uh, Ellen Parker's uh, Boxy Malone. Uh, nice. Old 70s musical. Uh which uh, tells the story of a gangster, Boxy Malone. And it's fairly unique for the fact that every single part in the film is played by a child, even though they're still supposed to be adults. Yep, and many of them go on to be huge stars, directors, all all kinds of amazing performances in that film. And and it's so funny. Yeah. It's got such a heart of gold, that film. It's so, so funny. And the way they replace weapons, uh, you know, as cream pies and all the guns, yeah. it just, ah. Oh. It just and works. The and mini cars. It, you're just, you just immediately buy into it as a kid. Like, oh, these kids yeah. are these kids are, are adults. Nah, fine, nothing wrong with that. Let's go. Because that's basically what you do on the playground every single day. Yeah. <laughs> Except without the real props, which is great. Yeah. Which, yeah. Man, those, fr- those freaking pedal cars. Oh, <laughs> I want. I so wanted one as a kid. Yeah, so no kidding. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what, that probably led into my interest of gangster films later on. Yeah, I mean, probably <laughs> pages of dirty faces. It, and stuff. it might well have been the reason why I'm so gravitated towards the 1930s and 40s aesthetics. Might be mm. well be because of Boxy Malone. Um, Great film. I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Thank you very much for watching. This has been the last edit podcast. We shall be around every Tuesday for your film delectation. I have been Citizen Sleeve. And I have been Silver Hawkins.
take it easy. Take care.